Good morning, everyone. My name is Ken Souter, and you are listening to Biblically Speaking here on WFYL 1180 AM, where we're working for your liberty and things that matter. Boy, do we have an interesting program lined up for you over the next hour. We are Biblically Speaking this morning on the topic of who can you believe And what that means is we are looking at the issues of the day through the lens of the Bible, God's infallible and inerrant revelation of truth to us. The Bible tells us to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Now, that may sound strange to you. What exactly does that mean? What it means is that we should look at truth claims being made in the public arena, and there are many of them challenging you every single day with a narrative that you are supposed to accept and believe. But we are to compare them to what the Bible actually teaches. And it does teach a lot on many of these things. Because we are living in a world right now, I believe, of lies, deceit, and half-truths. Now, that's not a new thing, but it's particularly relevant today as we consider COVID-19 and and statistics and analysis and all those things, um, we want to make sure that we're getting the truth. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be lied to. (laughs) I want the truth. I want the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And that leads me to a very interesting verse in the Bible found in the book of Proverbs, that book written by the wisest king of all time. King Solomon, of course, he is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so that would we so that which we read, uh, we can be confident are the very words of God Himself, totally true, trustworthy, infallible. And that verse is found in Proverbs fourteen fifteen, and this is what it says: It says, "The simple believeth every word, but the prudent man." looketh well to his going. The simple believeth every word, but the prudent man looketh well to his going. This is a very pithy verse, but it's rich with valuable insights concerning what I believe we are being challenged with today, especially with regard to the coronavirus, in particular, the numbers that are being reported in terms of infections, death rates, and those kinds of things. Are you skeptical about the statistics being reported about coronavirus? I have a special guest today that's, like me, skeptical, not ready to believe every word coming from the mainstream media. And I I tell you, as as I look around, there's a lot of people that are like that right now. They're just wondering. And and the variations of the numbers that are coming out, what really doesn't give you a lot of confidence in what uh, they're reporting. And I think what he has found will, well, blow your mind. It did me. Please stay tuned for that. That's coming up very shortly. Uh, do you know skepticism is a virtue? Only the foolish and really stupid believe all that we hear or read. A wise and successful man or woman will examine things carefully before he makes his decision. That's what this verse is really saying, is it not? You know, P.T. Barnum is credited with saying, there's a sucker born every minute 
And uh, that's true. And, you know, we just by nature want to believe what we're told, even from an infant. We just we just simply believe it. Right. And uh, I really like what Ronald Reagan said to the Russian president, Gorbachev. Remember that? He says, trust but verify. On December of 1987, when he signed the INF Treaty with Michael Gorbachev, the Russian leader quipped, you repeat that every meeting. To which Reagan replied, I like it. <laughs> the original of the phrase is actually from a Russian proverb. Trust but verify. I didn't know that. Until just today when I researched that a little bit. We all have a natural inclination to believe what we hear, don't we? Remember how easy Eve was deceived in the Garden of Eden? The devil took God's word, twisted it a little bit, added a word here, took a word away, and then simply asked Eve, hath God said, you shall not eat of the tree? Well, she believed God's warning about eating from the forbidden tree, but very, very quickly and easily she fell for the lies of the serpent that Satan told her. The serpent is Satan in this narrative in Genesis. Um, he failing, you know, failing the, this lie resulted in the course of the whole human race falling into sin and the misery of death and the curse of God that came upon all of creation and including us. Believing one little lie, not pausing to take the time to check out Satan's claims against God's word or to ask Adam. No, just believe. Of course, Adam just accepted the fruit without question as well. So he's not without fault. He should have asked a few questions as well. But he happily took it and ate the forbidden fruit and shared it with his wife. Just believing every word can have disastrous consequences, can it not? You know we live in bad times. Men trust sound bites instead of sound reasoning. The information bombards you with new data every day. Telemarketers, mail order catalogs, advertisements, infomercials, pop-up ads in the internet through opinions, suggestions, and products at you. But in this verse, God inspired Solomon to save you by this pithy saying, the simple believeth every word, but the prudent man looketh well to his going. I saw a meme this week on Facebook that said, thinking is hard, just do what the government tells you. Thinking is hard, just do what the government tells you. It is so true. Thinking is hard, and sometimes you have to work at it. Uh, but it's worth it. It's worth it. It's easy just to do what people tell you to do and without asking any any questions or having any um, you know critical thinking applied. That's what we're really lacking today. They, they should teach critical thinking more in school. Uh, and we could probably save ourselves a lot of mistakes. <laughs> then there are just a lot of gullible people. They do not have the conviction or ability to question and criticize new information. If it sounds good and something they want to be true, they believe it. If others are enthusiastic about it, they get excited. It's like the sheep. They all run over the cliff, right? They just follow the herd. Everybody's going this direction. Let's go. You know, and of course, if it's in print or a so-called expert says it, then they believe it. 
totally without question. Uh, you know, if a perceived authority says it, they trust it completely. Um, but not so the prudent. They are wise. They have discretion. They are not gullible. They are not impressed by things in print, word by or words by authority, or testimonials from strangers. They want evidence, and it must be valid. They do their own independent research. The majority opinion in this ignorant and perverse society scares them away. They actually believe the majority could be wrong. Get that? Could you believe that? Majority could be wrong? Most of the time, I think the majority is right, but it's not true. Learn to reject anything without proof and learn the rudiments of evaluating proof. The public education system neglects logic and rhetoric. They want you gullible to trust their authorities, which are educators, the media, and entertainers, none of whom in this Bible-rejecting day have a clue about truth and error. Men are vulnerable to find men are very vulnerable to fraud in different areas. The old crave a cure for aging and disease, so they buy magazines filled with health speculations, fraudulent advertising, and testimonials of miracles. Young men want to look like Hercules, so they ingest gargantuan amounts of latest weight gain powder from the same store that Granny visited. <laughs> of course, in 20 years, they will try a new powder to take off that weight. Sam, a lot of people really fall for financial fraud because they want to make millions easily, quickly. Others obsess about conspiracies and avoid the electronic cashier at the grocery store for fear of receiving the mark of the beast. Safety freaks stop flying because of their flight out of 100,000 each day might have a passenger with a shoe bomb. And doting mothers play subliminal ocean sounds to their sleeping children to help them to learn to swim. So, folks, we have a, a real issue today of, of just trying to sort it all out. Uh, what do you believe? What do you not believe? Uh, we live in perilous times in these last days. Information is the rage. Schools and degrees, books and other media multiply ridiculously. Men are gorged on information, but there is no truth. You know, the Apostle Paul warned, warned of this in 2 Timothy 3, 7. He says, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Boy, isn't that the truth? <laughs> and it will not get better, for he said, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So here we have valuable wisdom. In life, there is truth and there is error. Wise men will prove all things, reject the error, and tightly hold the truth. Paul taught this rule when he wrote, Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. In 1 Thessalonians 5.21. The Bereans were noble for searching the scriptures to prove even Paul in Acts 17.11. Think about that. The Apostle Paul, the great Apostle that we almost think is infallible. Well, he is because of his writing under the Holy Spirit, inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But even under that inspiration, the Bereans were considered noble for searching the scriptures to, scriptures to see that even what Paul wrote was true. 
They were not simple. They did not believe impulsively. They proved him out. Believe not every spirit. You know, God is absolute truth, and his word is absolute truth. Satan is a liar and the father of lies. He has no truth in him, and all men follow one or the other. There is no there is uh, there is no neutral ground. By your first birth, you love lies. And but as the children of God, you can follow the truth if you will prove it and pursue it. So with that intro there, I would like to introduce my special guest today. And his name is Dave Reich. Dave is a friend of mine, and we've gone back probably about 15 years or so. Uh, Dave lives in the area. He has a lovely wife and two lovely children. He was raised in Deerfield, Illinois. He's uh, got a Bachelor of Science degree from the University of in Chemical Engineering from the University of Illinois Urbana. He's got an MBA uh, from Northwestern University and an MA in Christian Apologetics from Biola University. Very actively involved in his church right now, serving as elder. And I know Dave personally, and he has been just a tremendous example to me and others of his steadfastness in studying the scriptures and um, really applying the word of God to all areas of life. So, Dave, um, you know, I'd like to ask you as we begin here, you've been listening to my monologue on Proverbs 14, 15 and how we should be wise uh, to not believe every word. Uh, but to do our own research when it comes to anything in general. And you've been doing your own research on the statistics that are coming out of our country and out of our state and out of our county, I should say, uh, federal, state, and local. But particularly, I think you've been looking more at the local and state numbers. Um, you know, are we as bad off as the experts were telling us or are telling us in terms of effect, infections, death rates, et cetera? Well, uh, thanks, Ken, for that nice introduction. Uh, it is a privilege and honor to be here and share the uh, podium, as it were, with you this morning. So, yes, the uh, the data that's out there is a bit incoherent, I guess might be the appropriate word. And I got involved with trying to look at what was going on a few weeks ago when Governor Wolf came out with his edict that he's going to open up <clears throat> different, excuse me, different counties in the state of Pennsylvania, here the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, if based on science. And that, that uh, word uh, gave me pause because the word science in many ways has, um, has shifted in its meaning over time. And uh, and furthermore, we as Christians, as you uh, indicate uh, in Proverbs fourteen fifteen, the simple uh, will go out and believe everything. My NASB actually uses the word naive, and we we um, ought not to be naive. Uh, Augustine, Augustine, the uh, great uh, Augustine's a city in Florida, by the way. Mm -hmm. Augustine is the proper pronunciation right. of the first uh, one of the early Christian founders um, and thinkers, great theologians. Um, and he said, every Christian should seek to learn as much as we can about as many things as we can. And Christians 
uh, should not fear truth in any aspect of life. Our, the church that I attend, where I'm an elder, uh, Manuelites in Souderton, on the front, as you walk in, the phrase above our uh, entrance says, all the Bible for all of life. Mm. And um, that is uh, something that has existed down through the centuries. And you can go back to Abraham Kuyper, who once said that there's not one square inch uh, in the universe in which Christ, our Lord and Savior, does not uh, scream out, that is mine. So he is not only providential, but um, we are to operate as believers in all areas of life. So as soon as one, as soon as any of us open our mouths, we speak what we understand to be theologically true, and that speaking and acting then impacts everything we do, whether it's in the realm of science or any other realm out there. And so when you look at what's happened to science over time, um, we hear all the time now that this we need to reach scientific consensus. Well, science never if that was true, then Copernicus never would have gotten off the ground. Neither would have would Galileo and science really would have never been given birth. The early scientists were by and large Christians and they sought to understand the natural world, but they presupposed that the natural world was orderly and that it was a cosmos and it was not chaotic. And yet uh, today, most scientists don't uh they may operate in a uh, with a certain <clears throat> assumptions about the, the world but <clears throat> they oftentimes will espouse that the world is not ordered it's chaotic but getting more to the point about covid-19 i became interested right after the governor made that announcement and i said well what is he basing this um requirement on we in montgomery county and every other county in the Commonwealth have to reach 50 cases, 50 new cases out of 100,000 population over a period of 14 days. Well, Montgomery County has 830,000 people. We're, in fact, larger population-wise than four other states in the nation. So we're a large county. We're the third largest county in the Commonwealth. And so with 800 and 30,000 people, that means over a 14-day period, we have to get down to 415 new cases. And right now, we're trending at around four times that uh, figure. That is if you believe the numbers. Now, I tend to trust the local data better than I do the rolled-up larger data. If you look at our county data, it indicates we have had 314 decedents from COVID-19, or uh, would be better to describe it as with COVID-19, because as we, as you probably know, COVID-19 is not necessarily the cause of death in many cases, and there's a financial incentive to put COVID on a death certificate, and even the uh, director of the Department of Health, of Health in the state of Illinois has gone on record to say that um, all deaths labeled, if somebody contracts COVID, 
even if you're on hospice and given three weeks to live and two weeks later you contract COVID and die a day or two later, you're statistically included in the deaths with COVID or deaths from COVID as the media tends to report them. But in Montgomery County, we've had 314. However, and that's if you look at the county website, if you go on the Pennsylvania state website, it indicates that we have 381 in Montgomery County. So which number is correct? Yeah. Uh, they're, 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 there's wide disparity there. Um, I tend to trust the local data better because you, you're getting on uh, reports from the local nursing homes and on the ground. And uh, it's also important for us to know that of those 314, all the 12 of them have come uh, from nursing homes and long-term care facilities. Our average age of death is just a little over 80. And interestingly, the national average is uh, 79 for average age of death. So, oh, wow. so the statistics are are um, can be problematic. And then, of course, we know the CDC numbers don't tie to what Johns Hopkins is showing, and they differ from what's on the world ometer. So it just depends on classifications, depends on the reporting, depends on how quickly they get the data mm. uh, out and then spread to the public. Mm. Um, would you say, and, and you know, just from your perspective and what you've looked at so far, why is there such a divergence? Why are we getting different numbers? Is it incompetence or is it some nefarious reason behind it? I'm not a conspiracy person per se, but, you know, what's your feeling? Why why we're getting these different numbers and so forth? Well, it's difficult to know um, exactly. It's clear from <clears throat> some of the reports I've read that, for example, New York City added I think it was 3,700 plus new deaths to their numbers because back in the early uh, days of when the pandemic started to spread in early March, we didn't have the testing kits available. And that's another story in and of itself. But uh, a lot of folks that uh, passed away during those early weeks in March, uh, maybe the first three or four weeks in March did display some of the uh, attributes of what COVID-19 typically generates in the human body with, mm -hmm. you know, it's largely a respiratory ailment and uh, with um, a virus coming into the cell. And one, one immunologist described it in this fashion. It's sort of like a thief who enters your house and when the thief comes in, he doesn't go right to the family jewels. He mm -hmm. actually goes to your copy machine, duplicates himself, and then his uh, cohorts along with himself go around and, and take everything much more uh, efficient that way mm. and then takes what he wants and then leaves. And all these different remedi uh, uh, medicines and, and vaccines and so on would would treat either entry or or um, use some sort of mechanism to try to curtail that. But what New York City did, getting back to that uh, 
incident was that there were some of those attributes and some of those um, uh, disease parameters that you would find with a COVID patient had been exhibited. And so they were assumed to have died from COVID. They were never tested and they um, ended up being included in the numbers. Well, 3,700 people is a lot to add. Um, even with New York being the, the most uh, has almost deaths of any city in the country, even adjusted for population. So we have that problem. We also have the problem of how many people are really tested for how many cases do we really have? Uh, I know of people who who have been tested and tested positive, and then they, for example, a man in our church was tested positive and uh, his wife came down with similar symptoms <clears throat> and her physician said, well, just assume you have it. You have the same kind of symptoms. And so there's no need for you to get tested. Just deal with it in the same <clears throat> fashion as your husband, excuse me. And so therefore the number of positive tests may be understated. We also know from prison population surveys, 95 to 96% of prisoners who tested positive for COVID-19 exhibit no symptoms, so they're considered asymptomatic. And um, unfortunately, we don't have good asymptomatic uh, uh, testing right now. We don't have the, the ability to test on um, whether somebody's actually a carrier when they may not exhibit any of the symptoms. So it's a, it's a difficult disease to measure to begin with. And then secondly, you have financial incentives for um, people to pad the numbers because if if you're going to get, if the local hospital or the county is going to get more money from declaring somebody uh, death with, with COVID, then they're always going to uh, to try to do that. And so we may have very inflated numbers versus what is actually the case. And then when you think about the fact that we've actually had a very steep decline in total deaths, uh, one of the news sources I look at frequently, uh, Powerline blog, John Hinderocker, has documented that the CDC had shown until they took their data down the, the total number of deaths in the first 100 days of this year we're actually down nationwide, down significantly. And then there's been other studies that show that a lot of the deaths that have occurred from people with COVID mm. um, would have died in a few months anyway, not to dismiss the fact that life is sacred. And as Christians, we are to uphold and preserve life as long as we can. But uh, average life of uh, stay in a nursing home uh, the median stay, especially for men, is very short, just a few months. And so the question that I think we need to wrestle with is this pandemic really is significantly um, bad as, say, the Hong Kong flu was back in 1968 when I was a kid. And I remember that, mm -hmm. which we didn't lock down. We didn't do the kinds of things we're doing today. We managed through it even though the number of cases and the number of deaths, uh, even to this point, were significantly higher than, than COVID. 
Yeah, I, I saw your uh, your post on that uh, as far as the Hong Kong flu. I vaguely remember that. Uh, what was that? Sixty eight. Did you say yeah, sixty eight no. and fifty? Yeah, okay, so yeah, I was I was I was young at that point. <laughs> Still, yeah, I don't ever recall being locked down for anything. I mean, that uh, I can understand why you might want to you know isolate people who are definitely infectious, but. Uh, I, I don't know. It's just something about this whole thing is really, really wacky. <laughs> I don't know where to put my finger on it, but well, I, again, I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist, but yeah. something seems to be weird about all this. Do you know what I mean? Well, I, yes, I, I, I felt that way since the beginning. And again, if we come back to the governor's edict that's supposed to be based on science, where the question is what scientific method did he use to determine that 50 cases per 100,000 is the uh, appropriate threshold? There's been no uh, double-blinded study where there's been a hypothesis and uh, empirical data collected. You know, when you study, when, when you do science, you're studying the natural world. You're looking for uh, specific information to draw general conclusions. And it seems to me that this thing is sort of arbitrary. And it, and it affects all of us personally being shut down. Um, my son, who you mentioned, has a, a series of uh, special needs. So he, every summer, attends what's, attends what's called an extended school year and goes to a, a local facility where they have outdoor swimming and basketball and so on. And that, at this point, we're not expecting it to be open. There's been no official uh, ruling on that, but the way things are looking for us to get to this 50 case level right now, we're running the last two days. We're about three times that. And if you just look at the curve and the way the, the, the number of new cases has unfolded, it's pretty obvious to me that we're going to be shut down in this red state as opposed to going to the yellow and then onto the green uh, status uh, for at least another four to five weeks. And, and, if, and if the cases don't get down, you know, significantly from here, the number of new cases, especially as, as we're increasing the frequency of testing, we will be, um, my son will miss that, that uh, event, that some seven week program because it, they won't allow that to be open. And then my daughter's going off to college this fall. So we're wondering, mm. is um, the university that she's planning to attend going to even be open? And mm. um, so, uh, so yes, it's, it's, it's unclear. I mean, to me, it's clear to me that this thing is nowhere near what the early predictions were. Uh, the early models, some of which, said we might see a million to two million deaths in the United States were wildly and grossly overstated. The governor of Minnesota said that state would see 72,000 deaths. They've had, um, I forget exactly the number, somewhere in, it's less than a thousand right now. And we're you know well into this thing and even past the peak. Um, it comes back to something you quoted Ronald Reagan. I'd like to go back to another president, Dwight Eisenhower, in his farewell address said something that I, I found very interesting. He said that uh, he's talking about <clears throat> science and inventors tinkering in their shops. 
And he says, in the same fashion, the free university, historically the fountainhead of free ideas and scientific discovery, has experienced a revolution in the conduct and con- conducting of research, partly because of the huge costs involved. A government contract becomes virtually a substitute for intellectual curiosity. For every old blackboard, there are now hundreds of new electronic computers. And of course, we've gone gone way beyond that. Now we have all this data and we have all this information. We have all these organizations collecting this stuff. But do we really know anything more about COVID than we did about the Hong Kong flu when it came along. It's kind of like the man who goes out, who's dropped his keys outside in the dark in the grass somewhere. And then he wanders over to the place where another location and his wife says to him, honey, why did you, why are you looking over there? I thought you'd dropped your keys over here. And he said, well, the light's better over here. I can see better. Uh, <laughs> that sort of, um, and then, and, and so then Eisenhower finishes his, his uh, little short paragraph here on the, in his farewell address, yet in holding scientific research and discovery and respect as we should, we must also be alert to the equal and opposite danger that public policy could itself become the captive of a scientific technological elite. And so do we have scientific inquiry? Do we have, uh, so we, we had these two doctors out in California who run um, a urgent care facility and their YouTube video went uh, viral. Five million people watched it because they were reporting from the ground, what they were seeing in terms of patients, in terms of, testing positive uh, in terms of uh, actual symptoms and so forth. They conducted a press briefing and that, that YouTube was pulled down because they had come to the, con- pulled off and censored because they had come to the conclusion that a lot of this shutdown and things we were doing was refuted by their own data that said, we suggested that this, the spread had happened significantly beyond uh, just the the people they had tested and that the number of positive tests was low compared to those that were asymptomatic. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so because that was a challenge to the prevailing wisdom, that YouTube video was taken down. And same with Sweden. Sweden has been uh, one of the few countries that has opted for no lockdown and they've been resoundingly criticized in the media for uh, allowing uh, people to make their own decisions. And their their deaths per 100,000 people is not the best by any means, but it's nowhere near the worst either. It's somewhere in the middle. And if the goal was to flatten the curve, that's what we heard over and over and over from Dr. Fauci. He said initially, our goal is to flatten the curve. This is a very contagious disease, and it is, but it's not that lethal. He had he had initially written in the New England Journal of Medicine back in late March that it, 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 this thing was not going to be any big deal, not much different than the flu. Two, three weeks later, when the uh, Bill Gates-funded uh, IHME came out with their model forecast, all of a sudden his tune had changed, and he was repeating what Osterholm and other experts said that this could be million, two million deaths. And now we see nowhere near the numbers. 
Yeah. But he, uh, yeah, he has been sort of the the person people look to, and yet uh, the things he was espousing early on uh, have not met that kind of criteria. And we, uh, so we went into this this whole thing on the on based on the idea that we were going to flatten the curve, and if we flatten the curve. Will not overwhelm the hospitals. Will not overwhelm our medical community. We'll be able to deal with this in the long run. Well, the f- curve was flattened. In fact, Hinderocker says there was really no need to do it. I think at one point, New York City hospitals were going to require 140,000 beds at the peak, and they only needed less than 9,000. But anyway, we we flattened the curve. Now the the tune has seemed to change to well, we need to stop the spread. Mm-hmm. So we've kind of changed the paradigm, mm-hmm. and that's why the lockdowns, especially in a place like Pennsylvania, uh, continue. So that even though this is all based on quote scientific expertise, yeah. the science is is not well known, and the models were grossly off, and uh, there's no evidence that lockdowns really did much of anything. Um, beyond delay the inevitable spread. So if you look at the UK and Belgium and Spain and Italy, the Netherlands, those countries all have uh, had more deaths and more cases than Sweden. And all those those places went into some sort of lockdown, whereas Sweden did not. Now, if you compare Sweden with Norway, Norway is actually better than Sweden. Norway went in to lockdown, Sweden did not, but statistically, uh, not a whole lot different. And we won't really know until this thing all plays out. You know, did the area under the curve mm. um, actually change because of lockdown? Um, so we need to be able to argue uh, that this is not uh, this is not something where you're always going to be combined when you've combined salt and, and chlorine, you get table salt. It's not mm. that kind of a, a scientific exercise. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing that, you know, I think, I don't know if the leaders are playing on this or not, but they know human nature and human nature responds very, you know, very strongly um, to fear and to uh, those sorts of things. And, I remember first week of April where President Trump was in one of his briefings and warning us that the following week would result in anywhere from 100 to 240,000 fatalities in the week. And I just thought, wow, mm-hmm. this is going to mm-hmm. be amazing. I can't wait to see. Well, at the end of the week, it was it was he wasn't even close to that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, here's another prediction by the IHME. I'm not exactly sure what that stands for, but I think they take metrics on 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 these sorts of things. And uh, they had a model that predicted um, by by August fourth, eighty one thousand seven hundred sixty six COVID nineteen deaths in Pennsylvania. Um, on May fourth, it now predicts twenty four hundred deaths. <laughs> so I mean, you go from yeah. eighty one thousand. 766. I love the 766. They really got it down. You know, it's very scientific. Um, Now they rounded it out to about 2,400 deaths. The models were completely overblown. The CDC now admits that this is really more like a severe flu season. And yet we are still tightly locked down. My wife said the other day, says, well, we've been doing what they told us to do. We've been sheltering down and all that. We've been 
you know, isolating ourselves for two weeks and, you know, what's what's going on here? And we're still locked down. Why? You know, it's, it's just I, I think, like you said, it's it's not only just, you know, flatten the curve to slow the spread. The next iteration might be never again or something like that. I have a feeling that this is not going to go away. No, it's. Um yeah, model that I referred to earlier that were is it grossly overstated? Uh, and you know, a lot of the a lot of our governors looked at that and said, "Well, we better get prepared." And so the I remember that same period of time in early March, I um, the stock market was cratering down, and uh, people were panicked and. Um, you know, who knew what, the fact is no one really knew what this was going to look like. And, and because it had come into the country from a lab in China on the other side of the world, that in and of itself creates its own uh, uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Um, and then how much, and how early did it get here? And so that all conspired to creating massive fear. And then, you know, you have a media, 90% of the media is controlled by, you know, five organizations, ABC, Disney, CBS, Viacom, NBC, CNN, and Fox. And uh, they all, maybe the exception of Fox, are pretty much saying, saying the same thing. And so you look at something like the early remedy of hydroxychloroquine, which the president had touted as a possible help to some people. And he was lambasted for it. And the media just went after him. Mm. Uh, This thing is an anti-malarial drug. It can't work for this. It hasn't been tested. It hasn't gone to a double-blinded clinical trial study, on and on and on. Yet, Again, people on the ground who used it and gave it to patients who took it early, you had to take it early after diagnosis, it did extremely well with it. One doctor in New York City said he had over a thousand patients recover from it. So it seems as though there is some sort of an agenda. And then you listen to the IHMA, again, is founded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and you know Bill Gates has shifted his interest in life from uh, Microsoft applications to world health, and uh, I think it's interesting that his father was on the board of Planned Parenthood, um, and, but he had said somewhere along the line, I think he did a, a TED Talk, uh, not that long ago, in which he said something to the effect that um, once people around the world learn to trust science, and again, there's that word, mm-hmm. to solve a pandemic like this, they'll be ready to trust science to fight climate change. Well, again, what is science? And science in the realm of climate change has become, uh, there. there is a conclusion, there is a result that has that is in the minds of the alarmists, which is that um, the the world is going to uh, suffer uh, terrible strain from rising temperatures and sea levels and so on because of carbon emissions. And they 
then run around to try to find support to prove that conclusion and that thesis. That's not how science is normally done. Science is, has been done historically to, again, to investigate the real world and look at real data and then draw the conclusions. And in, in, the, in that realm, as in this realm, there is um, there's a, an assumption that carbon is the primary control knob of of um, of our climate, and so what this all means theologically is that we think we can control the world. We shifted from a, basically a Judeo-Christian culture to a mm-hmm. secular culture with mm-hmm. a sort of naked public square where there's uh, religious ideas, as Ravi Zacharanelson says, the institutions and um, ideas, interpretations are not welcome in the public square. So as John, uh, Richard John Newhouse used to say, we're not allowed to make it public square because those of us as Christians can't bring our thoughts into, into the public square. And so science became the view that knowledge is only limited by the five senses, what you can taste, touch, feel, mm-hmm. hear, etc. See, and uh, now we've become a pagan society. We, mm-hmm. we now rely on these uh, experts, the so-called experts, right. and, the scienti- and, and, we're, and we're driving toward the scientific consensus, and anything that challenges that consensus is dismissed. And, uh, and that's what these California medical doctors did. That's what the epidemiologists in Sweden have done. They basically challenge the status quo and the status quo and the scientific consensus is that you must lock down. We must stop this from spreading because we're all going to die and suffer from it. And we heard that over and over and over. But when you realize that uh, 302 out of 314 deaths in Montgomery County took place in nursing homes and that the average age is over 80 years old, uh, it raises a lot of questions about what was thought to be the case and what the reality is. I, I think the thing there is uh, the re, uh, the denomination, uh, denomina- denomination, denominator of the ratio that they use for those who actually die versus those who actually are infected uh, is a lot larger than they originally thought. I mean, it could be that maybe you had mm-hmm. it and didn't even know it. And then that yeah, would that's significantly those... change your ratios, would it not? Right. Um, um, that's right. If, if we're able to test uh, in a wider basis, there have been three separate studies done, one by USC, one by Stanford, and another one in New York showing that it could be as, as high as um, 15 to 20 times as number of people that you're using in the denominator. And then, the, again, the prison surveys show that most people that have COVID and tested positive for it are not carrying the symptoms. So, and what is it about this virus that, you know, we had a guy where I worked who was in his mid forties, seemingly the paragon of good health ended up 11 days on a ventilator in an ICU. And that's inexplicable and an outlier from, and he's fine now. He, he um, is home and back working but he he went through a 10-day, 11-day period where he was really suffering badly. 
and the media likes to portray, you know, portray those stories as the norm. They're they're out they're the outliers. We've also had cases where some people have contracted stroke in conjunction with COVID. Is that is there a correlation there? Is, is, is that cause and effect? Uh, we don't know when it's only a, a, again a handful of people. But the, there's no question about it that this thing is nowhere near as bad as what was initially uh, presupposed in these IHME models. And certainly uh, the death rate is well below um, where it was. But again, we have to ask the question, why, if we went into lockdown because we didn't know and now we know, well, then what's the, what's the rationale for continuing the lockdown? Yeah, Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York, said, you know, getting the disease means death. Well, that's just not true. Getting the disease might mean nothing for the vast, vast, vast majority of people. Getting the disease might mean some sort of symptoms that are flu-like and could be severe, could be mm-hmm. not so severe. Uh, but getting the uh, virus and you're in your... 80s, and you have other ailments, largely respiratory, diabetes, obesity, anything that would hamper your ability to use your lungs is going to uh, put you in, in the most uh, vulnerable of, of the populations. But again, going back to Hong Kong flu and other pandemics, we quarantined the vulnerable and the sick and those that caught the disease and we let the rest of the world operate uh, with freedom and you know not not acting blindly and not acting without uh, some sort of judicious mm-hmm. action but but um, we didn't close down restaurants and barber shops you and I don't need those so yeah. much but um, other places of business <laughs> yeah. where people are now, are now um, suffering and have suffered an economic malady. The the other collateral damage that we're not hearing as much about as we ought to is the massive increases in suicide um, uh, hotline calls uh, in various regions of the country. They've seen triple-digit percent increases in calls. There was a physician in New York who committed suicide after dealing with COVID for two months. Uh, Don't know all of what went into that, but there's been reports of increases in domestic violence, child abuse, and other uh, things that occur from uh, putting people into a lockdown and causing people to lose their jobs and not um, being able to live like like God intended us to be able to live. Uh, yeah, I think one of the lessons that has to come out of this, it really does, is that we, uh, and I know many pastors, and, and I'm not going to come down on them for that, but mm-hmm. instinctively believe the government's line that this is something, this is going to be another Spanish flu, this is going to be something so horrible that we have to listen to them. And, um, you know, I have some friends that unfriended me because I didn't want to believe that right off the bat. And I know of some others that right out of the gate saw this for what it was. And not to say, you know, I told you so, but, you know, 
I think what has to come out of this is we do not instinctively believe what we're told on the tube. <laughs> or I don't care no. what the expert is. I don't care how many degrees he has or her. It, it, you have to trust you have to trust the word of God. And, and, and right. you know, that's the whole thing here. The simple or the naive believe every word, but the prudent man looketh well to his going. And I think as we move away from a Christian-based culture, nation, mm-hmm. into a more pagan nation, I think fear increases. I, I think that, yeah. you know, as, as, as a godly, righteous people, we don't fear as much as the ungodly do. They're look, you know, they see everything and, you know, they're right. having great fear for everything that's coming upon them. You know what I mean? But we, we don't have there is, Right. Yeah, then that's how they're going to operate. And you know, Mike Pence, the president was criticized by appointing Mike Pence to run his task force because he's not a scientist. Well, it, you know, it turns out that scientists are really poorly trained to answer the question, what is science? They're good at answering what's the structure of a methane molecule, but they really don't know how to answer what is the, you know, what is science in the sense of how do we draw conclusions from data? And so that's why we've had these wild and extreme different perspectives, uh, yet we put our trust in, in so-called hard scientists and as Christians, we need to <clears throat> ask ourselves, just because a scientist said it, just because somebody who has a PhD from MIT said it, does that mean it's true? Mm. Does that mean it lines up with the Word of God? Does that mean it, that this person doesn't have an agenda and doesn't have a worldview uh, mm. that, that comes into play when mm. making decisions in making judgments about the data. You can have two separate people looking at the same data and draw wildly different conclusions depending on their worldview and how they see reality and whether reality Mm -hmm. lines up with what God has asked us to do. Yeah, well, I I hope all this does teach us a lesson to not jump to conclusions, not to believe intuitively the government. By gosh, by now, if you have been haven't been disabused of that, uh, I don't know what will do it. But uh, uh, you know, when Mister So and So or Doctor So and So gets up there, it really means nothing to me anymore. It just absolutely doesn't. And um, you know, the left is so um, always after conservatives for having different phobias. You know, phobia this, phobia that, homophobia, xenophobia whatever phobia you may want. But what I'm finding is there's a new phobia from the left, coronaphobia, and yeah. just a great fear of something that we should not be as uh, you know, so fearful about. It's just absolutely crazy. But we have about a yeah. minute or so to go, Dave. I'd like to give you that opportunity to maybe wrap up what, we, what might be on sure. your mind. Well, I don't want to uh, your audience uh, to understand that and we're not saying, I'm not saying that this hasn't been a, a, a medical problem for a lot of people. Um, and my pastor has a good friend who's a pastor in New York City who spent two weeks in the hospital. And so this has been uh, severe and uh, deadly. And mm-hmm. we need to continue to take precautions with hand washing and with um, even wearing masks when we're in. Uh, close proximity indoors with people um, 
just to try to show respect. Not everybody's going to agree with you and me. Uh, so we need to be mm-hmm. uh, good citizens in uh, this world. Agree. Um, and so that I think we need to say that mm-hmm. as well. But I think mm-hmm. what we're trying to say here with the mandate the governor's put out is it's going to be a while before we have yeah. our freedoms back. We need to continue to fight the good fight and be solved in life in a world that uh, right. lost its truth. Truth, truth eventually triumphs, right? Uh, what is sure. it? Right makes right. And uh, I think eventually the truth will be um, made plain. And hopefully we learn some lessons from all this. So anyway, folks, I would uh, encourage you to uh, keep fighting the good fight. Uh, get your Bibles out, folks. Study the Word of God. It's the eternal truths. That's where you can go and get um absolute truth on on all these things and today we've been looking at proverbs 14 15 the simple or the naive believeth every word but the prudent man looketh well to his going Uh, may that be an encouragement to all of us that we do have a source of truth that we can go to and i want to thank my my guest today dave reich for being on my show so until next time this is ken souter and we're speaking biblically speaking here on wfyl 1180 a.m god bless